0: datang Munyaal. I'm Alan Halliwell and this is season 4, episode 8 of Indotechno. Now social commerce in Indonesia is by no means an empty buzzword. Statista estimates market size for social commerce in Indonesia to be about eight billion U.S. dollars this year, 2023. It moreover expects these levels to triple by the year 2028. Today, we're very pleased to have Geri Nugraha of Snaplink, which was formerly known as Payable, to discuss this now sizable and moreover rapidly growing market. Great to have you join us, Gedi. Hi, Alan. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. First of all, let's take it from the letter A. Could you share with us a basic description of what SnapLink does? So three
1: words to describe SnapLink would be check out a service. We improve buying and selling experience for merchants and customers that do transaction outside of the established marketplace. check out a service.
0: Understood. I guess you're talking about other tools, not, for instance, the Shopee or Tokopedia or Lazada's of the world, but merchants who maybe work more with WhatsApp. Is that correct?
1: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Those who use Instagram and WhatsApp or other social media to sell their products.
0: Understood. Next question. Can you tell us a little more about the origin story of Snaplink, again, originally known as Payable?
1: Okay, this is actually quite interesting, Alan.
0: It's personal for me. It comes from my mom's selling on Instagram.
1: She cannot use Shopee or Tokopedia because interaction is one of the core parts for her selling experience. The thing is, when you are outside of these platforms, you miss all the convenience that you get from them as a sellers. Hence, I would frequently see my mom just staying up late at night just to go through all her Instagram message, write down all the customer orders on her notebooks, and then check on her bank account, see if the customer has paid and so on, and see which order they need to proceed and so on. After this... We talked to Albert and Faza and we realized that in either their previous company or also in their networks of friends, they also face a similar problems. The selling experience for these merchants are just non-existent. So that was when we decided that it's something that we're solving for us.
0: Interesting. So obviously the next natural question is, how much royalties or license fees do you pay to your mom? <laughs> I think she is still a, a free customer for now. She is happy. I'm paying for her, basically. There you go. Happy mom, happy life, happy business, happy startup. Now, without getting too technical, Getty, where does our solution and our technology sit within what is kind of a broad and pretty complicated payments space? And where does it sit as a process?
1: We are a layer on top of payments. We are at the layer of checkouts. We are not a payment gateway or anything. And we ourselves doesn't hold any of our user money. We just used the existing payment gateway solution and built a full checkout experience on the market. On you can think of it like we aggregate payments, shipping, discount management, order tracking, all the things that the merchant required to sell their products into a unified and cohesive experience for them.
0: It sounds quite novel compared to how a lot of merchants have had to work, which is doing their own very tiresome integrations and whatnot. Now, does Snaplink work particularly well with specific product categories or verticals? This is something that
1: we realize when we are selling Snaplink to these merchants. So we work particularly well with beauty and fashion merchants. Why? It's because these two categories rely heavily on social interaction because it involves consultation in the sales process. You can think of it like, Alan, when you are buying like a beauty products, you need to know what's your skin type, whether it will be going to fit to yours, and so on. So, therefore, these sellers, they usually use WhatsApp or other social media to sell their products. So, last thing is, these two categories are the most that up- by the fee search in the existing marketplace. And basically, all of these merchants, they are now trying to shift their resources to selling outside of the marketplace so they can cut the fees that they take.
0: Understood. Now, you mentioned earlier that Snaplink integrates, and I assume that's with e-wallets, credit cards, buy now, pay later services maybe Indonesia's mobile banking platforms. You mentioned logistics companies. What have been the trickiest forms of integration that you've had to undertake in aggregating all of this? I think it's on credit card. But
1: the interesting part is that it's not on the tech side, but it's more on how we built a product around it. Because firstly, for Indonesia, especially credit card penetration is quite low. So both for the customer side and for the merchant side, they don't have the knowledge to understand how credit card works and how to work with the security and fraud prevention on it. You know, like credit card have those kind of concepts called chargeback. And imagine you are talking to the merchants and then trying to convince them, okay, you can accept a credit card, but then when the customer do a chargeback on you, we need to take the money out from you. So they will just say like, how does that even work? So Credit card is one of the most interesting part, not the tech level bias, but how we build product around it so that it's easy for the merchant to accept and it's easy for the customer to pay using it.
0: Okay, so as we sit here in what is now May of 2023, how would you score the average merchant's financial literacy? You talked about credit card just now on a scale from 1 to 10. Let's just say a power user on Shopify who's been up in... Working now for years and years as a ten, and someone who it has just come online as a one. Where are Snaplinks target merchants in literacy? Do you think?
1: Okay, talking about merchant literacy, this actually comes into two parts, Because our users, like the one who is directly using our products, they are mostly not in the good level of digital literacy. You can think of it like most of these merchants that we are targeting, the SMEs, they are not individuals; they are usually. Two or more people working together for projects. So you will have an owner and also some staff. So what we see is that for the staff, they do have an average to low digital literacy that they require a lot of training for us to be able to use our apps. But then the owner itself, they know how the product works, how the business works, and they do have quite a good digital literacy. So the thing that we need to do is we just need to convince these owners. And then basically, if the owner already accept that, there will be a natural push for the staff to use their products. So at this time, even the training itself can be done by the owner to the staff and not going through us.
0: Understood. So I just wanted to step back and maybe I should have asked you this earlier. So our optimum target customer is a merchant who does not use any of the e-commerce marketplaces or... They do, and this is ancillary, or they're not using the marketplaces at all? So that market that we are targeting us are those who are selling on
1: Instagram and WhatsApp. We don't generally care whether they are working on Shopee or Tokopedia, although some of our merchants sell exclusively on Instagram and WhatsApp, but some of them do sell also on Shopee and Tokopedia. But the way we see it is that the, the pattern that we see is that for most of these merchants, they use Shopee or Tokopedia to track a new customer or a new buyer, but then they try to retain that loyal customer through their own social media. So that's how this works. They, because they can attract new customer because to- Shopee or Tokopedia give a way for you to attract new buyers. But then when you move it to social media, you can get the lower fees for them.
0: Makes eminent sense. As you may know, I used to run strategy at C Group, and I worked very closely with Shopee. And most of these dominant marketplaces probably capture as much as 15 or 20% of a merchant's GMB, and that really eats into margins. So I can see if indeed you can offer these turnkey solutions that they longer term would hope to gravitate or migrate their business to the non-platform solutions. So. Our business model is SaaS or software as a service. Does that mean our small seller customers pay us a monthly subscription fee? Because my sense is that the SaaS model has not seen particularly good traction in Indonesia. Have you found it a successful model?
1: Okay, so Snaplink doesn't do monthly subscription fee. It's more of a pay to go. We take a percentage of your transaction, but just very low amount compared to like Shopee or Tokopedia. So talking about your question, like SaaS model has not seen a good traction in Indonesia. I don't think it's specific to SaaS model. It's more about the type of problem that we are trying to solve. And I feel that frankly, the biggest problem for the majority of SMBs in Indonesia is to find a buyer. That's their 10x problem right now. And if what your service do, which is basically most SaaS do is to only increase the efficiency by XX percent, you will have a very hard time convincing these SMEs to pay for your services because they can easily just recruit other people to help them on their project and so on. This is something that we realized when we are working on our first iteration of Payables. At that time, payable is just a payment link as a service before we reprim into sampling. So with the goal of increasing operational efficiency for the merchants, it's very hard to sell this kind of solutions because what the merchant will think was that, well, we have an admin and staff that do that. So... Why do I need to improve the efficiency? That's their job. So it's very hard to sell to this kind of machines. That's why we pivot up into a new model for checkout-assess service where we can become like an enabler for them to go to the direct answer.
0: Understood. Sorry. Last question. Comparing ourselves to those big marketplaces, it's very clear if I can actually make good use of SnapLink and Instagram and WhatsApp. I'm going to bring my cost down as a percentage of GMV. What are some of the other benefits that our merchants discover when they start using the SnapLink solution?
1: One of the things that you will soon realize when you are working on Shopee or Tokopedia is that you don't know where well your customer is. Like, you don't know the very specific stoves people that buy through this platform. And they generally try to make them anonymous for you so that you will not know in general what market are you selling at. So... One of the benefits besides the fees selling direct to consumer through Snaplink is this. You have your customer data. You know who is buying your products and you can target them directly. So you can build a more personal relationship with them. You can, let's say, send an email or send personal marketing stuff just so that they can buy again through your platform.
0: I'm having flashbacks to my 15 years covering Chinese e-commerce because the largest brands in the world, oftentimes... Obviously, found the marketplaces very useful. They really started regretting that they lost visibility—not even ownership, but even basic visibility into the customer—which led a lot of them constantly to go to try to start their own dot-com websites, Nike.com or Gap.com or whatever. And it was always a real tension. But I fully understand ha- owning the customer or at least having visibility into the basics of the transaction and the person or entity behind it is really important. So that makes a lot of sense. Getty, I do see we have a common employer. You worked at Shopee for more than two years. I reference having worked in strategy at the parent company, C Limited. Tell us about your time there. How do you feel Shopee is unique? And what did you learn when you were there?
1: At Shopee, I was an engineer and uh, tech late for one year there. One thing that I really like about Shopee was how they care about the customers. They really care about the customer first. They have like customer first minds. So I still remember I was an engineer and I was at Singapore at that time. A time when I just got a call at 2 a.m. to support an issue which was happening at Brazil. We are working on a very global market. And most of the engineers is either in Singapore or China. I just got a call, wake up, fix the issue, and then go to sleep again. One of the biggest takeaway I got to Shopee, and something that I always try to put into the mind of my fellow engineers, is how mission critical every production issue is. Every issue that is there in production, you need to solve it easy. And I believe that Shopee has one of the fastest way for you to solve an issue out there.
0: That's really fascinating. So there was never any doubt that, It was a customer first platform. Moreover, speaking with its ecosystem, digital ad vendors and third party logistics players, I was always getting feedback that the average Shopee employee was much more tuned in and was able to make decisions faster than their peers, which I think has been a very large component of its success. Now, Getty, you and your co-founders, Albert Theodore and Faza, are all alumni of Bandung Institute of Technology or ITB. What do you guys take away as the greatest learnings or experiences of ITB? ITB, we more or less have accepted
1: the attitude, if you can say it like that. I'm not sure whether it's due to the ITB itself, or maybe it's the cold weather of Bandung, but most of my friends, they do have this kind of mindset, like, if you can dream it, you can build it. So that's why I see this kind of trend when I was in university. After the university, they do those competitions like competitive programming and so on. But in IDB, we mostly focus on building stuff, hackathons and so on. So just a fun fact, my first hackathon experience during university was with Alza and Albert. So we went full circle there. And I think at that time, by going through all of these competitions, we realized that you basically can build anything at that speed. You can dream it, you can build it. So that's one of the most profound experiences I have in TV.
0: The really indomitable message that you're sharing. You actually graduated Itebe in 2020, and the team is one of the younger ones that we've had on the Indotechno podcast. What have been the most challenging experiences you guys have faced as relatively young founders? Okay.
1: I think years of experience definitely some of the biggest challenges that we have. Individually, I believe that we have the complementary experience. Albert has some experience in e-commerce, while Faza has strategy experience while he was working in BCG. But one thing that surely we don't realize is when we are working on a startup is what a startup pace is, what kind of startup is. So looking back at my time on Shopee, I thought that my team was working fast. I believe that we are working fast, but then When I joined a startup, when I created an startup, we feel that, okay, you cannot just do that kind of speed here. So if I can look back on our first few months working on Snaplanes, we were moving like 10 times slower than we are moving right now. I guess most of it was due to us not really knowing what the standard is there. We don't even know that you can like experiment on a new market in just a few weeks. We usually take months or so on at the time. We learn from there and we are now moving at a lot faster now. And we keep iterating the product and also in the market segmentations.
0: So you guys may have started slow in retrospect, but it's got to be rewarding to have seen that successful acceleration that you just talked about. Another basic question for you, Getty, how do we find new SME customers? What is our biggest acquisition channel? Interestingly, We actually, we experimented with this quite early
1: on, but we see that content marketing as one of our biggest acquisition channels. So if you try to find us in Instagram and TikTok, we do post there regularly. And when our content goes viral, there's always an influx of conversions coming in. So also content marketing, it's a great way to reach new audience. Because your content will be seen by such a different segment that you can eventually experiment on. Imagine how many US dollars that you need to spend to get the 10 million reach on Google Ads or Facebook. We can get that for free just by the, having viral content on TikTok. That is a good way to get a lot of data and we can learn which segments are a good match, which then usually goes to direct outreach. So we gather a new segment through this viral marketing. And then we direct outreach to them later on.
0: Understood. So, Getty, how many paying customers do we have? And what is our target for year-end 2024 or 2025? When this is the paying customer, not the one we sign up onto our platform, we do
1: have a threshold of monthly recurring revenue that they need to give to us to we consider as paying customers. So we have more than 100 now. But going into the future, to be honest, there are multiple paths that the product will take each with a different kind of user. I think for the past few months, we've been experimenting on targeting the bigger and the bigger brands. In this kind of brands, the number of merchants might not be that relevant, but the metrics that we usually target will be like the transaction volume instead. And for this transaction volume, we plan to grow it by 20x in the next two years.
0: That is ambitious growth. So Getty, what new features and functions do you want to add to Snaplink over the next couple of years? For the existing products, we want to focus on solving their 10X problem.
1: So we see that 10X problem for this SM is just how can they get a new customer? Something that we want to help the merchant is how can they operate globally? The global market has been one of the hardest ones for them to reach out to because there's a lot of complicated things there. You need to think about the taxes, the shipping, and so on, and also accepting the payments. So at this point, I think our focus will be How can we help them to operate globally, including to help them by internationally shipping and add more globally accepted payments method. But I guess further from that, we are also open to help our merchant solving their other pain points, like having a way for the merchants to basically target all of these customers by sending personalized email marketing. We can also handle that in the next two years and
0: so on. So in other words, it sounds like we do have plans beyond Indonesia in certain ways, shapes, and forms. Is that a correct statement? And if so, whom do we regard as competition in those other markets? The plan outside of Indonesia is for the buyers. At our current stage,
1: in the next two years, we don't have a plan to focus on targeting the merchants outside of Indonesia. But we do want to help the merchants in Indonesia to sell globally. So we could help in a way, like creating the product for them so that they can easily accept payment and ship internationally. So that's our focus point. But why we want to focus on Indonesia is that because on Indonesian market, the problem that we solve is very anchored to the Indonesian way of selling. Social commerce, things like that, it's more specific to Indonesia. But we do know that there's other country out there that this kind of model could work. We see that a potential to expand beyond Indonesia, like Philippines or Indochina. I think in Philippines you do have a where they also provide payment link as a service. So that works there. But maybe it's not in the near future right now.
0: I couldn't agree with you more around the assertion that Indonesia, within the tech sphere, it's at its most unique in its e commerce practices and its unique embrace or very differentiated approach to social commerce. It's obviously a massive opportunity that you could focus on for many years, but it'll be very interesting to see how quickly you. Accommodate that uniqueness and then assuming you go overseas, how you localize to other markets. So, Getty, what aspect of the business keeps you awake at night at this point? Most of this
1: is sales and like experimenting on new market segments because we are moving very rapidly right now. Each experiment could like last probably one week and then we will move to a different segment that we want to try on. And then let's see how it goes. So it's always a kind of catch up, let's say okay, what should we do next? What should we do next? What should we do? You do have some kind of deadline that you want to set for your company. So you cannot just go easy with traction that is maybe slow traction. It's traction, but you don't want to have that because you have a deadline that you want to met. So you want to find a path with the least resistance for that goals. So it's always something that keeps me up at night. What should we do next? What should we do next? And so on.
0: I sense a very palpable activity and experimentation. Justin, listening to your answers, really enjoyable getting to better understand yourself and the Snaplink story. At Getty, I love the idea that the platform empowers the merchant, it frees them of a dependence upon the marketplaces, it delivers them very importantly more direct ownership of and insights into the customer, and just as importantly reduces their cost of generating business or GMB. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Alan. You're very welcome. We hope our listeners have enjoyed today's episode. As always, please consider sharing any feedback that you have about the Indo Techno podcast with us. Terima kasih. Sampai jumpa lagi.